Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 256 and this episode is with James Barraclough or Baz as many people will know him who's worked with him. Baz is a lecturer in sport. He reached out just to see if they'd be interested in him coming on the podcast to talk about some of his research that he's doing around the psychosocial skills that we are developing or should be developing with players in academies. So it was really interesting to dive in some of the early research that he's doing around that, some of the considerations that we need to make in our role. And also we made sure we applied some of the thought pathways that he's applied to technical coaches and the technical work that he's done with coaches to sports science, to strength conditioning, to players being in the gym environment as well. So we talked about the skills developed, what what psychosocial is, We spoke about some of the assessments, how we can go about developing it and some of the good practice needed in academies and some of the changes possibly needed to be made at some academies as well. We highlighted some of the good work being done by coaches and what that looks like practically in a session environment as well. So you'll take plenty from this episode. It was a very different episode to our usual topics, but something something which I think we can learn a lot from. And I'm sure it'll get a lot of people thinking in terms of how they can utilize this work and some of the research people like Baz is doing around psychosocial support for players as well. As this episode goes out, we are one week away from our next networking event at Doncaster Rovers. That's on Wednesday, the 20th of September. Tickets are still available for this one. So you're interested in joining us at that event connecting with coaches and practitioners and growing your network in the game and also watching presentations by Sam Bowring and Harry Hurst, both sports scientists at Doncaster, then head to footballfitfed.com and click the shop tab, networking events tab, and that'll take you to the tickets. We are also going to be at Shrewsbury Town on Wednesday, the 27th of September, And again, as this podcast goes out, early bird tickets, it's the last day of early bird tickets um, on the day this podcast goes out for that event. But there are plenty of tickets still available for that one as well. So hopefully you can join us at one of those events. We will have some more events to announce very soon for October as well. So just keep an eye out for that on our socials. I'm also going to do a little live check on our review count. So on Spotify, we're now actually over 100 reviews. So massive thank you to everyone that's left a five-star review on Spotify. We're on 102 five-star reviews. That doesn't mean stop giving us the reviews. Let's try and drive that up as high as we can. Also, if you listen over on iTunes, we're on 90 reviews. We've been stuck on 90 for a little bit now. So if you are listening on iTunes, please tap the five stars and leave us a short comment on the review section because I want to try and get that one up over 100 as well. It does massive favours for us when we're reaching out to potential guests, um, future guests for the podcast when they ask about how many subscribers we've got and listens and all the rest of it. So it massively helps. So please, if you've not left a a review already, please head over and do so. On to our sponsors, a massive thank you to our sponsors, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, the PGMOL, 
Commonwealth teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also a big thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hydro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hydro.com or email teamsales at hydro.com to find out how Hydro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. Also, a huge thank you to Rezzle doing some brilliant work in the world of VR. Most recently, they had a brilliant testimonial from Marcus Rashford. He said, after my shoulder injury, Rezzle was key to my training and helped me get back to the game. So there's some top players around the world that are using Rezzle now. So make sure you go and check them out at Rezzle over on socials and keep up with the amazing work that they are doing. Let's get into the podcast, episode 256 with James Barraclough. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 256. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, James Barraclough. James, how are we? Good, thank you, Ben. And thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure. No problem, mate. I, I've just realised that's the first time I've ever called you James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to refer to you as Baz. Baz from now on. Yeah, no, mate. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, we've got a slightly different topic to cover today or a few topics to cover today which will be really interesting but for anyone that doesn't know you doesn't know your background career we give a little bit of a rundown where you've been what you've been up to and what you currently do as well yeah no problem so been working kind of football coaching for probably about the last 20 years uh, I did my first degree actually in psychology which uh, I didn't really enjoy if I'm honest but the one sort of bit that I did find fascinating was the sports psychology unit. Um, so I went back and studied that at master's level. Uh, it's always something I've been interested in. You know, I think when technical, tactical, physical sort of elements are, are balanced out, I think that, that makes a difference between sort of success and failure. So I've always been fascinated with that side and, and doing a master's just reinforced that really. And uh, really then started coaching sort of basic stuff, grassroots after school clubs, uh, working with teams on Saturdays, that sort of thing, Manchester University teams, uh, and then academy teams, have my own business, sorry, for, for a couple of years, private football academy, um, and then football academies for sort of the last 10 years, 
Uh, initially at Stockport when they were a centre of excellence, um, before obviously they, they plummeted. It's good to see them come back up now. Um, so I was there for a season um, before they folded. And then obviously we met at Wigan, who was there for, for about four years, which is a great experience and really good coach and really good practice there. Um, one on to Bury. Um, there's a bit of a theme here, Ben, with places have been that have ended up getting into <laughs> a lucky uh, lucky mascot. So yeah, I went to Bury, um, had a couple of really good years there, loved it at Bury, but obviously we know their, their sad demise. Uh, and then went on and, and coached at Oldham for, for a couple of years. Um, decided to do a professional doctorate a few years ago, really interested in, again, the psychosocial side, but maybe more around recruitment and talent ID and development. Uh, so we've been doing that part-time for about four years uh, and probably got about three years max left on that, um, working with a, a Cat 3 club uh, there on the 13s in the north northwest. Brilliant, mate. That's awesome. So I think we could dive in at different stages of your career in terms of what you took away. But you, you said about that like balance between technical, tactical, physical, and then now focusing more on the um the psychosocial side. Was that always something that you saw yourself moving into? Because obviously when when we were working together, yours was more a technical role, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've always, like I said, I've always uh, seen the psych as important from my sort of very average playing days. Um, I mean, the thing that another thing that inspired me to to look at sports psych was actually playing in a, a Saturday league game. Um, we're actually beating this team 2-0, absolutely coasting. Uh, and then one day came out and this just one guy played like he was in a trance and they won, I think, 5-2. I think he got a hat-trick and two assists and I was just like, you know, well, that, that's not technical, that's not tactical. You know, it's not a physical thing that's changed from the first half, so it must be something men mental, really. So that was the spark um, that kind of got me into the psych stuff. And like I said, I've been fascinated with it ever since. So when I did my, my master's in sports psych, they uh, recommended that we do uh, coaching badges. So I did my FA Level 2 uh, initially just as a, a bit of a sideline, but I kind of fell in love with that side of it uh, as well, possibly, if not slightly more than the psych side. So... Um, got a lot of work coaching, um, like I say, working through grassroots and, and volunteering and things like that. And I've always tried to marry the two together, um, which has been a challenge because, like you say, you wear two different hats, don't you? So sometimes you, you do go more down the, the tech tech physical route and, and maybe uh, don't give enough attention to the side. But it's, that's my kind of and why I've done deep off really is to try and merge them together. Um, you probably see more psych stuff on the grass. Uh, I think psych's got a bit of a, a bad reputation, which is kind of justified a little bit that it's, it's too much in the classroom, it's maybe too much jargon, too much uh, complicated language in it, and um, we don't see enough of it up actually on the pitch. Um, so that, that's kind of where I'm going, really. So um, my third study from my, my D-Prof that I'm doing at the minute is looking at embedding psychosocial skills into some practical sessions on the grass and, and getting out of the classroom as well. But I will sort of have the caveat that those classroom sessions I think are vital, but we need a bit more. And I think it makes it a bit more accessible with, to coaches. So the idea is is not to come in maybe as a as a specialist as a site, but it's to work with the coaches and upskill them. Because ultimately they spend most time with, with the players. So that's the that's the aim. 
100%. Just strip it back a little bit for us, Baz. For anyone that's listening and they're hearing sort of psychosocial, what do you mean by that in terms of that support that we give to players or even what, what we mean by psychosocial? Yeah, so, I mean, basic definition, you've got the the, the, psych, the psychological drivers uh, would be like the internal stuff. So you hear loads of buzzwords, resilience, grit, growth mindset. Um, it's like the five C's approach, like commitment, emotional control, or things like that. And then obviously social is, is interactions between people. So communication, leadership, teamwork. Uh, and it's, unfortunately, we know the numbers that actually go on to be successful in academy football. So again, it's looking at trying to develop the person uh, and maybe looking at what they can achieve outside football and their career does come to an end, whether it's in the short term or hopefully a bit more long term. Uh, but it's preparing for, for real life as well and, and trying to teach them those skills that would be useful uh, in, in the workforce. Yeah, definitely. With that, what I'm really interested in with, with what you've just mentioned there is, because you said before about that, you gave that example of playing on the Saturday and then this player just going into this sort of days, I think you described it as, and, and having obviously a, a great half. And we work with players as well that they just seem to have something different, don't they? Yes, they're talented, but there's a lot of talented players that you work with, but they just have this this difference. There's something different about them and whether that is the, the psychological side. And even relating this into, you, you said there about not many players making it into football, but taking it into the work into the workplace as well. How much do you think we can impact that? How can we? How much can we change someone from maybe not having that that drive, that grit that you, you talked about before? How much can we build that? Do you think that that's possible to change a lot, change people a lot? Yeah, I think. You know, talent does exist and people do, do have their limits, but I think we need to try and unlock those limits. So I think the way that we can do it, like I say, is on the grass. So it's different sort of challenges, constraints we can use to, to call it strategic stress, if you like. Uh, so, for example, if a player needs to, to develop their emotional control, put them in situations where they're going to sort of lose that control. So bad decisions or play them in the, on underloaded teams so they're always frustrated but support them through it. So the support's yeah. the key to it. It's trying to get that those situations away from the tech taxes where you're actually stressing them. So you know, if you want to get stronger, obviously you lift gradually heavier weights, don't you? So it's the same thing from a, a site perspective. And yeah, I do firmly believe it's something you, you can develop within people. I don't know if you saw. Did you, did you see the GAA final recently where they and they, there was a famous clip going around of the warm-up and the two lads in the warm-up and they were, they were teammates and one was essentially trying to push buttons of the of his teammate and he was getting very rough with him and essentially they, they were just short of having a scrap in the warm-up. But I suppose like, and, and when I spoke, I spoke to someone that knows a lot more about that sport than what I do and I think he was doing something similar where I'm not sure if the warm-up's the best place to do it on the game day. Well, he was essentially getting him ready for coming up against an opponent that was going to do something similar. And I suppose that's what you're referring to, isn't it? Obviously, I don't know whether that's the right scenario to do it in or not, but you're testing boundaries there, aren't you, by doing something like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a great example, and that's kind of knowing how people tick, isn't it, really? So that, that player obviously knew that he needed to wind him up and, and get his arousal levels a bit high and get him a bit pumped up, and that's how he's going to perform. So... 
another part of it is is the social side from the coaches and the staff is getting to know the players and, and what makes them tick. So we've been looking at um, doing profiling with the players in pre-season. So we're trying to make it holistic as well. So another sort of criticism of sight sometimes is maybe it's in a bit of a silo. So we'll just do sight in the classroom and won't go on the pitch. But if we're profiling the players, why don't we look at the, the technical, tactical, physical stuff as well um, and working on a kind of a super strengths approach. Um, what do they do well? What's got them in the team? Um, but also, is there anything that's going to maybe get them out of the team that we need to, to prioritise? Uh, I know a, an ex-colleague of ours um, was big on that, Tim Lees, who always, always used to talk about that, you know, what, what gets you in the team you should work on and only work on weaknesses, really, if they like to get you out of the team. So the profiling, like I say, it could be, could be a technical weakness. It could be, sorry, not supposed to say weaknesses are we anymore, but area for development. Uh, it could be technical, it could be tactical, it could be physical, it, it could be a psych one that we've identified. Um, but profiling it across a holistic kind of methodology, uh, I think allows us to, to know that player uh, a lot better and make it a bit more bespoke for that player. Um, obviously, in Cat 3, where I'm working at the minute, resources are a little bit stretched, perhaps, compared to some Cat 1s and Cat 2s. So you've got a lot of staff that wear different hats. Um, whereas at a Cat 1, you'd probably be able to get a lot more objective data from the technical, tactical stuff around maybe using HODL and the physical stuff, the EPPP testing. Um, but it's possibly a little bit more subjective at, at Cat 3 level and based a little bit more on opinions, which isn't ideal, but... I think it's probably a bit of an improvement. Baz, your experience there, and I don't, I don't expect you to start naming clubs and naming club coaches and pointing them out or anything like that. But I'm just interested across the different clubs you've worked at, and not even just the clubs, but obviously university settings as well. With this support that we give to players, or even the kind of the understanding of the psych side, whether the coach completely gets it or not, where would you rate the level? of support that coaches are generally giving? Does it fluctuate a lot from coach to coach? Is it really an area that they need to develop a lot? Or genuinely, is, is there a good level of understanding the support that they're giving to players? To be honest, from my experience, 10 years in academy football, I think it's miles off, to be honest. And that's no reflection on the coaches. Uh, I think the, the coach education needs to be a lot better. Um, it didn't, I've gone up to sort of the AYA, so I've done the youth awards when they still existed, uh, the AYA, the B license. It wasn't really until the AYA where it's gone into in, in any real detail. Um, so I think coaches are, through no fault of their own, quite ignorant of a lot of this stuff. Um, I think back to coaches I've worked with over the last 10 years as well, I think some of them would have been really receptive and taking it on boards, and, and some less so I think uh, <laughs> uh, to say it nicely yeah you'll know that from your experience um, two, I'm working with a couple of younger lads at the minute um, the age group coach where I am and they're, they're fantastic and they're, they're just taking it all on board and they're making suggestions and uh, really sort of buying into it so that's fantastic but like I say, I, I think if some coaches I work with they might not have been quite as receptive um, but I do think it, it's partly maybe coach education. Like I say, site needs to be simplified a bit more. I think maybe sites are a little bit guilty of trying to overcomplicate things sometimes when they could just possibly use simpler language. Yeah, definitely. I think I do agree with the fact that you talked about it being in like silo to 
everything else. I think it's really important to get that cohesive approach, isn't it? And educate practitioners. And obviously we're talking here to practitioners, sports science, S&C, fitness coaches, performance coaches, whatever we want to refer to ourselves as. If you had a bit of advice, Baz, for coaches like that, practitioners like that, but also technical coaches as well, you said there about us needing to improve. Where would you say, if you had to highlight a couple of areas or a couple of things to upskill on, where would you say we need to focus our time there? I think one of the, the big findings from, from what I've done so far is, is trying to, like I say, embed psychosocial skills into, into everyday training, really. Um, when you, you, you see someone does a session plan, key factors, so tech tech, to include psych in there, so the communication. There's probably a lot of coaches that, that actually do it within their sessions already, but don't sort of document it. So they're yeah. doing it subconsciously. And there's probably a lot of coaches that, that do do it consciously and do it very well. So I don't want to be too sort of sweeping and, and, and judgmental, but if you've got maybe three or four key factors about weight of pass or timing of movement and stuff like that, then why not about eye contact or or communication or things like that? Do you know what I mean? And, and how you structure the practice so that it's, um, like I said, that strategic stress. Uh, so, for example, playing players in underloads or giving bad decisions against them, things like that, making them captain, playing them out of position. Yeah, but kind of coaching them and supporting them through that. So. Uh, I think there's ways of doing it, um, and that's, in my opinion, something, in my experience, uh, is something that could be improved. And with that, so take an example of, and this isn't obviously a specific one, but an example of, say, playing a player out of position, if they then start to get frustrated or whatever it is within that session, obviously that's part of the test of it, isn't it, to challenge them. How much would you then involve them in that process? Would that be a case of within the session pulling them to one side and saying this is all part of it or would it be maybe a reflection after or a bit of both or does it depend on the individual? Probably depends on the individual and sort of how frustrated they're getting, I suppose. I mean, um, to give you an example, we, we played a player out of position on, on Sunday at the game um, just to bring out sort of more technical stuff really and to get him working on his weaker foot. Um, so with him, we just, we just put him in there and said, are you playing here? We worked a little bit on his movement um, and receiving on his, his weaker foot in training uh, and then sort of threw him in and then coached him afterwards. Um, there's another lad we worked on who needed to work on his communication. Um, so we made him captain uh, and it wasn't really working in the first period. So then we had to step in and, and give him a bit more information. So and it's about specifics as well. So it's all very well saying you need to communicate more, but what does that mean? So it's then don't presume that he he understands actually what when I say communicate, what sort of things are you saying to your players, so like press, man on, time, things like that. So making sure we're sort of drilling in sort of specifics and uh, and coaching it that way. But yeah, I think it does depend on the individual as you would with a, a technical or a physical session. The more you talk about this as well, the more I sort of think of it examples where this could apply to SNC sports science as well, especially within like warm-ups or gym sessions. I think there'll be opportunities to probably get this work in as well, won't there? Have you have you had any experience of that? If we take it away from the pitch now and look at the gym, so a completely different environment, but obviously same set of players. Is there been anything in that sort of environment that you've you've looked at or even put in place? Not, not as yet. Um, I think it's a good point, though. Um, so remember some of the sessions that 
used to do in the, in the old sports hall that, you know, you look at the players who you take it seriously and, and the ones that don't. So the, the ones that are doing it seriously, you know, are, are kind of fully committed, aren't they? And, and the others maybe just kind of pie it off a little bit. That's But for me, that's a little bit of an indicator. So, you know, the the 1% the things, are they taking that seriously? So commitment, uh, that, that's a good example of that. And then you might have to sort of approach the players that aren't and um, give them a bit of a boost. But for me, little things like that might indicate how likely you are to progress and how much like so you, you, you pay attention to attention to detail. I think some of the other things that stuck out for me was like when you're talking about like leadership, so the sort of captaincy role, but you could apply that into a warm-up with, with leading part of it or something like that, couldn't you, where you put in a player that's maybe not as vocal, maybe a little bit shyer into a position where they maybe need to be a little bit more vocal and take that lead a little bit more. So there could potentially be aspects of a warm-up where you could really try and apply some of that. Yeah, absolutely. So it may be going back to the SNC that they, with your sort of guidance, do the, the demos and yeah, kind of, and do things like that. But um, after, the AYA was was a fantastic course, by the way. I, I wasn't slating that earlier, and a lot of that is around kind of play, player-led stuff. And a lot of the the um, themes that came out of my second paper, which was academy managers, is, is about autonomy. Um, so trying to basically get players to to think for themselves and coach each other. Um, so, it, yeah, a lot of it's around that and the peer-led kind of coaching. So it's almost during the season that the coach becomes more and more redundant, if you like. Uh, so, I mean, that's the idea. That, I don't know if you've seen any of the stuff that's, that Wimbledon are doing around the player-led games. No. Uh, there's some stuff on Instagram. So they, they've actually sent players or teams to, to games with no coaches and just wow. got them to record what they do and they were just coaching and doing all the tactical stuff themselves and yeah it looked really really impressive I think it was under 13s 14s something like that so I mean that's the ultimate goal and then again you're looking at what skills they're developing for, for beyond football so again leadership teamwork cohesion and things like that so yeah I think there's definitely ways it can be embedded it's a big week this week on our online community. We've got plenty of updates going on, including a brand new webinar by Pody Roche, um, a strength and power webinar. Pody goes into details on how he periodizes strength and power work in the off-season and how that then transitions into the in-season as well with the work that he does with Arsenal, Arsenal women. We're also going to have all the presentations from our event at Rehab for Performance. So that's Matt Konopinski, that is Jack Dowling and Jack Naylor. We are recording all of those and they're going up onto our community for our members to check out as well. We've also put up our discount codes for some of our upcoming events. So all of our members get discounts on our events and some other events as well. And there's also been a couple of job opportunities. So we've had one opportunity in our WhatsApp group recently, really exciting one abroad. And also um, we're going to be posting another one very soon to our members as well. Um, so there's always opportunities going in and around the group, opportunities for our members um, in terms of jobs. And also a really good chat this week around where physiotherapy or physiotherapists sit in terms of the MDT, some of the experiences that coaches have had with physios working as part of a cohesive team, what's worked well, what hasn't. So there's plenty going on this week and there is every week on our online community. So if you're not already a member, make sure you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up for a free 
30-day trial. After your 30-day trial, you do become a, a full paid member of the community. And at that point, you do get invited into our WhatsApp group as well to join the discussions and get access to a number of coaches placed right around the world at all different levels. Um, a community of coaches that is literally at your fingertip if you need to ask any questions and get experiences from people. So make sure you go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with James Barraclough. When you're looking at that, Baz, when you, especially when you're working at sort of cap three level and you know the percentages of players that realistically are going to go through and play on onto first team, it, in your mind, is a lot of it based towards real life? Like when you're preparing these humans that you're working with, um, is that is that what a lot of it is is leaning towards or are you seeing them more as players, as, as athletes? I think it depends on the club. Um, I've had bad and good experiences of that. Um, and if I'm brutally honest, I've probably been part of that bad experience when I first started coaching. Uh, I think you, particularly like you go into a new setting in academy football, it's just you think more on the X's and the O's. It took me a while to, to kind of realise, you know, you need to build those personal relationships and, and get to know the player first. Um, so I think there's a lot of variability in that. Um, I think it... Uh, it has changed. I think the the, the player care uh, offices do seem to be a bit of a game changer. I uh, imagine it's quite different from club to club. Again, there's a lot of good stuff on I've seen on LinkedIn, uh, particularly coming out of our old club. Again, they seem to be a lot of good work. Um, so that's definitely a step forward. Uh, the EPPP generally has had that intention, which I'm not sure over the last 10 years it's fully fulfilled, particularly lower down. Uh, and one of the challenges I think I mentioned earlier is you get staff wearing different hats. So you may maybe the, the person who's doing the player care role is is also like the head of education or is doing something else. It's always been a bit of a sideline. Uh, so I think it's, it's definitely a move forward with the player care offices, but uh, it's early days in terms of that. I think a lot more can be done. Awesome. When we're looking at assessment of this. And, and where that fits in, like what, what sort of approach are you taking with that? In terms of um, how I've assessed in my current study, I've done a sort of baseline scores for a questionnaire and using a methodical performance profiling pre-season. Uh, and every end of every six-week block, we reassess the performance profiling and the end of the season, we'll redo the questionnaire. So hopefully there's a... It shows there's an improvement between the baseline scores and the end of the season. Awesome. So that's that's going to be the, the and that's this current season, is it as well? It is, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So is is there any early uh, where you up to with that? Obviously, that we're talking about this this season now, so we're literally just getting into into the uh, like post pre season, aren't we? Really? Yeah. So we're at block one, week two at the minute. So early yeah. days. So brilliant. And then how do we develop this generally, do you think, in terms of the support that we're giving to the players? So obviously there's going to be more research from yourself that's going to come out when you start collecting um, results of these assessments and the questionnaires. But in short term, how when we're looking at the approach that coaches are taking, how do you think we can develop? I think the onus is, is a little bit on coach education. Uh, but obviously, like I say, I didn't really experience too much around psychosocial to look to sort of level 40 AYA. So I think 
more needs to be done maybe on that. Um, and then, you know, if it's not forthcoming, maybe clubs can can take that on themselves and uh, guest speakers and things like that might be the way forward. I mean, lower down with budget constraints, is, there's quite a few organisations springing up that kind of help out at academy level. I know that um, Stephen Corker's just kind of uh, started his own organisation. There's um, Go Again, it's a, a really good one. And even Trent alexander Warner's uh, got got one up and running now. So there, there is kind of help out there, um, sort of an individual basis. But I think probably upskilling the coaches is, is the main thing. Um, and it's a challenge, isn't it, really? So uh, is there enough kind of sports psych support available, particularly lower down, to be able to do that? And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, Ben. So I'm, at the moment, I'm hoping... You know, I'm not saying my research is going to be like groundbreaking or anything, but even if it leads on to more research and uh, it kind of gives people a bit of an impetus to go and find out more, you know, it'll be a, definitely be a good thing. Um, there's also uh, a lot of good research coming out of Leeds Beckett in the minute, so I'm, I'm collaborating with, with Tom Mitchell there. I should just mention him at UCLan, by the way, to give them a bit of a name drop. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Tom's done a lot of work about Upskilled, upskilling coaches and working with them. So my work's really a progression of that, and uh, and maybe there'll be future collaboration in in future. Yeah, definitely. Another thing, Baz, you know, mentioning before you said about obviously coach education being important and upskilling coaches in this area, but there's also some coaches that tend to do this quite well, whether they know they're doing it well or not. There's psychological support. For each individual, they're testing in the right ways. Um, what do you see when you see a coach that's that's doing this well? What are some of the sort of standouts for you in terms of their practice and what they're doing session to session? Yeah, like I said, one of the the, the two lads that I'm working in the minute, I just went in and, and observed their session before I went and said anything to them. Obviously, they knew I was going to be working with them, but I just went and sort of sat sort of 30, 50 yards away in, in the dugout where they were training I was just listening in and um yeah one lab was just stopping it saying right what about communication what information can you give there yeah what about scanning what about checking your shoulders so that they're, they're kind of already embedded the psychosocial stuff in there so I think that's half the battle with them if we can get kind of everyone to do that and and I think maybe educate uh coaches about uh a little bit more what what other psychosocial stuff exists and and um, observable behaviours is, is another big thing that, that's come up with, you know, we're looking at, if you want to see if someone makes a bad pass, uh, there's certain things, key factors you're looking at, like park, foot, weight of pass, time and things like that. So can we do the same for psychosocial? Okay, so if someone's made a mistake, their head goes down, they're sulking, they're still thinking about it, the game's gone round and things like that. Um, yeah, just... just where we can spot things like that and, and how we can maybe uh, develop it, like I say, the strategic stress and put in the situation where it becomes coachable. Yeah, Brill. Leaning more on the social side, because obviously got we've, we touched there quite heavily on the on the sort of psych side and tied it in with the social side. What, what are you referring to more? I know you sort of said about it before, but that social side of things, what are some of the standouts and some of the things you really need to be aware of on that side? I think it's, I think you alluded to it earlier a little bit, where you, you may be getting them to develop skills that we're kind of looking at employability skills, aren't we, really, like leadership, teamwork and things like that. So 
certain things where you can make him captain. Uh, I actually took a bit of inspiration from from some of the, the work we did in lockdown. Uh, so obviously we couldn't train, so we did a lot of stuff um, with a previous club um, on match days on a on a, what would have been match days on a Sunday to so get in the players to do their work. Um, so they they work with each other via Zoom or Teams, and we had this thing called Franken Player. Um, so they basically for their position they had to design the perfect player. So it might be say you're a striker, it might be Haaland's finishing. Um, well, pretty much all of Haaland, wouldn't it, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it might be Bergkamp's touch and things like that. So they had to build the perfect player. So we put them in sort of situations where they had to speak to each other as groups in threes or fours and then present back to kind of two age groups. We'd be like nines and tens together, elevens and twelves together. Um, so it was really impressive. And their IT skills uh, kind of knocked mine out of the park as well. So... It was a really interesting experience. We're going to try and recreate that um, a little bit more in the classroom as we go through the season. So maybe like show and tell and, and things like that. And and again, resurrect the, the Franklin play. Just things where they have to go and interact and use IT skills and, and cooperate and then deliver to an audience and things like that. So all things you, you're going to do in uh, every walk of life, mostly, I would say. With the players now, Baz, because obviously... It feels like yesterday we were working together, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was a few years ago now. So there's there's players now playing in first teams at a 20 odd um that we were working with when they were young teenagers. So now we've had quite a big change in generations, haven't we, of, of kids now coming through in academies. What is it now that you look at players? Because I can maybe think of some stuff from when we were working together where, where you were like, oh, some majority of these players could just do with working on this side of things a little bit more, not even just for football, but just for life in general. How different do you think the players or the, the sort of um, generation of players that we were working with compares to now of players of the same age? It does seem to be a little bit of a difference that I mentioned before. The EPPP seems to have changed a lot, um, how we relate to, to, to players and uh I think there's there's been a culture change in football generally, whereas, you know, it's always a brutal and ruthless business, but it, more emphasis seems to be on 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 developing young men who are humble and, you know, off the pitch, they're decent people. Uh, yeah. but they've still got that drive and that hunger on the on the pitch and uh, that maybe touch of perfectionism and, and always wanting to do extra and, you know, we've the uh, ones who actually come to you and always asking what can I do to improve rather than you having to go to them. Um, so things like that, really. And my sec second study um, with academy managers asked them the same question. And, you know, that was some of the answers, really, was the obvious stuff, resilience and grit, but also humble. They're nice lads, but with an edge. So I think that's, that's possibly past generations of footballers maybe different a little bit from that um I, I don't think it's a, an unpleasant change to be honest uh but you look at players that we've we worked with 10 or so years ago ones that are still in the system i think we'll back that up so i can think of three i'm not going to name drop but three off the top of my head were just great great lads off the pitch really nice really polite uh but on the pitch just driven to succeed and, and would always ask questions and do extra and you know, they'd be the ones in your sessions who were who were kind of taking it very seriously and uh, and do everything they can to to get that one percent advantage. I think that's a great point. 
really really good point and i think you can see that can't you in in a lot of the um i think the, i think the other thing sorry to jump around on this but the other thing on that is i think there's been some good role models that players can now look and see exactly what you're talking about like when they get interviewed you're like wow he's he's a top guy or she's a, a top girl but then you look at it on the pitch and it's like oh my god they just got this switch where they can just turn into this like this killer in a good way um but i think that's the point isn't it now because the game's evolved so much we've got this powerful quick like game that we that we're preparing players for they have to have that on the pitch obviously but this side of things where this support is is getting better and better all the time hopefully like you said it sounds it sounds like it's moving in the right direction but it's creating these these people isn't it as well alongside that these good people Definitely. I think it, it's good to see a little bit of vulnerability as well. Um, you show the human side, uh, just to touch on the mental health side of it, really. You, you have athletes who come out and discuss their mental health issues that obviously associated with, with being in a, a very ruthless kind of industry where, you know, one tackle could end your career. Uh, you, you're kind of living on sort of three or four year contracts when you're younger, maybe less when you're older. Uh, all the different politics that go on, whether you get on with, with the gaffer or new gaffers coming in and, and things like that. So I think the mental health side is, is really important as well. And it's good that, that players kind of open up and show that vulnerability rather than, you know, that old school approach where they, they have to pretend to be bulletproof, and uh, which we now know is, is very damaging and uh, bottling things up is, is not a good, uh, a good state of affairs. I think you see that from the older pros that now retired that then do these interviews where that just shows that it's, it's it wasn't the right approach at that time, wasn't it? You hear these stories in change rooms of signs of weakness being like frowned upon and stuff, and it just hopefully that's we've moved past that as a, as a sport and even just as support and so and society as a whole. Yeah, I think so. There's, there's that statistic that. Uh... Bit of a gloomy one, I'm afraid, but you know, the biggest killer of men under 50 is suicide. So, mm. um, that's particularly the older generation. I think my sort of uh demographic is the worst. Um, we're kind of our parents were brought up, not your parents, I'm a little bit older than you, Ben. Sorry, um, <laughs> yeah, my parents were brought up sort of post war when everything was still sort of stiff off the lip and you know, man up and boys don't cry and all this sort of stuff. and you know, people just bottled stuff up and wondered then why there's this uh, epidemic of, of mental health issues. But, you know, it's it's good that people that are open to talking about that and getting it out there and uh, not seeing is it so much of a, a stigma these days. Yeah, definitely important in the whole academy system as well, isn't it? With the obviously the percentages of players that are going through and then knowing that they've got that support there and someone to talk to, I think it's, it's vital, absolutely vital. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think that's the, the player care roles are uh, key in that as well. So that's a, a very positive step forward. Amazing, Baz. Well, I think this is this has been a really different podcast from what we normally do, obviously. But I think there's been loads of great takeaways from it in terms of hopefully getting the coaches listening, thinking on, on how they could potentially apply some of this into their approach, warm-ups, gym work, just generally getting more interested in in this because we're working with a lot of players a lot of the time, aren't we? So we can definitely have an impact. And obviously the more, when your research comes out, it'd be great to see what um, what comes from that as well. So you have to keep us up to date on it. Yeah, definitely will do, Ben. 
Brilliant, mate. Well, Baz, just just to wrap us up, if people have got questions or you want to just direct them anywhere just to keep an eye on, on the work that you're doing, where would you say to go? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, so at Sportsite Jimbo uh, or just on LinkedIn, you can search me on there. Amazing, mate. Well, it's great to catch up. It's good to see you. Good to see that things yeah. are going well. And, yeah, thanks um, so much for having me on, Ben. I love the podcast. It's uh, great work. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. And we'll, yeah, we'll stay in touch. Brilliant. Cheers, Baz. Big thank you to Baz for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed catching up with him. It's been a little while since we've had a proper catch up. So it was great to hear from him. Great to see some of the work that he's doing around the psychosocial support that we we are giving to players or should be giving to players. I think takeaways just initially for me is I think that there's definitely opportunities that we can apply some of the work that he's doing within a session to some of the work that we do possibly in a gym environment or even in the warm-up. So we talk, we spoke about the the role of like leadership, so leading warm-ups, leading drills, even being involved in demos. Those players that maybe don't want to do that, maybe shy away from it, can we look at developing or testing some of those skills in, in that sort of an environment? Um, there'll be other ways as well, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that it's maybe sprung a few ideas. So it'd be great to hear if you've thought of anything in particular or even experiences of what you've potentially done before because I think the, the more that we can share this sort of stuff, the better. And then also, the, I think the other interesting one is how players have evolved. It's been a long time since I've been in a, in a, a club. Um, so speaking to practitioners and seeing how your modern day player or potentially your younger player, different generation of player differs to what we've pre- previously worked with. And um, yeah, it was great to hear that from Baz in terms of how players being developed and the personal skills are being developed and there's a lot of players that are coming through that are, that are good people and the uh, good people first and obviously very good players as well but good people which is argue, arguably more important so definitely some really good work being done but I think Baz is highlighting some areas that we can definitely focus in on and improve on as well which is really great to see so Make sure you go and check out his work. You can give him a follow over on LinkedIn. So you can connect with him on LinkedIn just by searching his name. He's also over on Instagram and Twitter as well. So go and check out some of the work that he's doing. I'll post all the links to his socials in the show notes. So you can go and check those out. Just before I let you go, make sure you go and check out our upcoming events. Doncaster Rovers on Wednesday the 20th of September. And then Shrewsbury Town on Wednesday the 27th of September. And do us a massive favour, go and show some support to our sponsors, doing some brilliant work. Hytro, Rezzle and The Good Prep, doing some brilliant work. So go and give them a follow over on socials and keep up to date with what they've got going on. And massive thank you again for listening. I'll speak to you next week in episode 257.